Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. This holiday season, Lexus wants you to remember. It's not just the thought that counts. It's your thought. Because no matter how much time you spend picking out the perfect gift, the only thing they'll really care about is that it's from you. Here's to experiences they'll continue to cherish. Season after season. Make this December one to remember. Together. Click the banner to discover more. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer. Have you ever thought about starting your own podcast? You know, when we were trying to get this podcast off the ground, we had a lot of questions. How do you record an episode? How do I get the show into all the apps people like to listen to? You know, best of all, how do we like to make money off this podcast? The answer to every one of these questions is really simple. Anchor. Anchor is a one-stop shop for recording, hosting, and distributing your podcast. Best of all, it's 100% free and ridiculously easy to use. And now, Anchor can match you with great sponsors who want to advertise on your podcast. That means you can get paid to to podcast right away. In fact, that's what we're doing right now by reading this ad. You know, I like to listen to to my scary podcast during the week while I'm at work. And man, let me tell you, it just gets me in an extra zone so I can keep working all day long. So if you've always wanted to start a podcast and make money doing it, go to anchor.fm slash start to join me and a diverse community of podcasters already using Anchor. That's anchor.fm slash start. I can't wait to hear your podcast. And welcome back to the High Low Sports Podcast. Last time we talked about the first day of NBA free agency and, well, it only got better from there. I'm DJ joined by Kelsey and Kelsey. We talked about the big bombs being dropped on day one with Kyrie, Kevin Durant. The Clippers basically said, hold my beer, here we come, bringing in not only the best player in the league in Kawhi Leonard, but probably the best defensive player, arguably, in Paul George, who's pretty much the exact same type of player as Kawhi, just a little bit lesser version with his ability to play both ways. Yeah, it was definitely uh, earth-shaking moves, if you would spare my pun to the, to-, uh, to the earthquake. But yeah, no, it was uh, it was insane. I mean, for Kawhi to be keeping that quiet and nobody to, to even say anything about that, and that no rumors came out about that at all. Everybody kind of thought the Clippers were pretty much dead in the water for getting Kawhi, and turns out they had been working the whole time to get Paul George and get Kawhi there, you know, behind uh, under the radar, and that's you know that was impressive. It's uh been one one heck of a week of free agency this first week, so that move definitely rocked the NBA world to its core. And you can't talk about the Thunder trade without mentioning this leaves Russell Westbrook back by himself. Another superstar player leaves him a year after they throw a little party for Paul George, where he announces he's resigning. Now he said. Even on Twitter, he's like, no slandering Westbrook at all. But you got to wonder what this means for him going forward. Like, they're talking about possibly trading him. He's discussing with the team about being traded, but that's a big contract he has. And he struggled down the end of last season. I mean, his free throw shot was gone. His three-point shot was gone. He basically just attacked the rim with reckless abandon and hopefully dished it off. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I honestly don't know what's going on in OKC. Is it, 
Is it Russ? Is he the problem? I mean, we've talked about it. We talked about it in the episode one. I mean, where does jump shot go? Where does three-point shot go? I mean, he had made such improvements in his first triple-double season that this season it just looked night and day. I mean, still averaged a triple-double, but it was a questionable averaging a triple-double. Um, but is it Billy Donovan maybe is the problem, or is it like management? I know there had been talks since back in the James Harden days. You know, when he got traded, like the management was still – an issue and nothing's really changed in the years since then so maybe that's something to do but yeah I know Russ I don't know what, what we're gonna see from Russ uh, there's talks him ending up in Chicago or maybe down in Houston with a Chris Paul flop maybe I, that would be the two contract swapping which would kind of financially make sense but still questionable nonetheless does Russ fit in with with Harden can the Rockets ever get over that hump then without Chris Paul Poor Chris Paul gets left out in the dust. You know, you don't don't know what to do with that. From what I've seen so far, it looks like the Heat look to be an early suitor for Westbrook. I don't know how that trade's going to work money-wise. I don't mind him and Jimmy Butler. That could be fun. you got two dogs that are going to go after it. Some good miscellaneous parts with, like, Kel- Kelly, o- Kelly Olenek and a few others. So that could be fun. And, you know, with the Pat Riley-led team, get him a couple stars, good things will happen. I also, a few other teams I think he could be fun on, if they, depending on how the trade him and the Suns. The Suns have been looking for a point guard. Get another dynamic guard next to Devin Booker. DeAndre Ayton. Some of those young forwards they've drafted, like Josh Jackson, if he can play. They could be a fun team that in the West that can give them another explosive element to possibly get them to a playoff run they've been looking for. I think he could be fun in the Pistons. Him and Blake Griffin, they could be Lob City at 2.0. Just this time, the point guard could be throwing it down because we know Blake can pass as well. Yeah. I think those are just a couple teams I think he could fit with. It's going to be hard to find a trade suit, trade a trade suture for him. What do you, who do you think he should go? Who do you think should look after him? I mean, yeah, you mentioned the Pistons. Those are that's a good that's a good choice for him. I mean, he fits in that offense pretty well. He's an improvement from Reggie Jackson. I love Reggie Jackson. I wish he would do well, but yeah, if you're gonna have if you have your choice between Russ Westbrook and his triple doubles or Reggie Jackson, I'm I'm taking Russ pretty much any day of the week, especially with Blake Griffin and Andre Drummond there. Imagine you gotta kind of you probably have to split those two up though to get Russ. I don't know you can if you can get Russ without trading Andre and Reggie back to the Thunder, so I don't know. That'd be a tough one. The Pistons probably are the best best landing point for him, but the way this, this free agency is shaking out, I honestly I, I hesitate to, to call out a team because there's no telling anymore. I mean, this week it may be the Rockets. Next week it may be the Spurs, for goodness sake. Like, we don't, we don't know anymore with free agency. So... And with the, especially these trades, preseason trades, there's no telling. But I think I think you're right, spot on with the Pistons. I think the Pistons would be a good one for them. That'd be that's definitely a good pick. And you did mention the Spurs. One deal they made I thought was cool is they reworked Amari Carroll's deal a little bit, saved a little bit of money. Maybe they start bringing in some guys who are looking for a trade. Right. We talked about the Clippers. That's the big trade so far. Probably the biggest one of the offseason, with all due respect to the Nets. They made their own seismic moves, but I, we have, I think the Clippers stole the show. So you have to mention the Lakers. They were. We talked about it. They seemed to be all in on this super team idea. It didn't work out, but I think they rebounded surprisingly well considering you bring in DeMarcus Cousins an even further year from that Achilles injury. He played in the finals, not his best, but he's clearly recovering a little bit from the quad. He brought back Rondo. I love that pick. And one guy that I really loved, Danny Green and Quinn Cook. You got some shooters finally. And then Danny Green, a long, lengthy defense, an all-defensive caliber guard at some points in his career. So it, you have you can have a freakishly huge starting lineup with LeBron at one, Kuz, you can have LeBron at one, Danny Green at two, at Kuzma at the three, Anthony Davis at the four, and Demarcus Cousins at the five. At any point you can go that freakishly large and athletic. 
Or you can go really small where you have like Kuzma at the three or four, LeBron at the three or four, depending on how you want to swap those two. AD at the five, Danny Green at the two, Quinn Cook at the one, or Rodham. You have a lot of lineup versatility, and you have a lot of potential star power. Cousins can get back to 80 to 85% of his pre-injury form. Yeah, definitely. I mean, we saw we saw what the Pelicans did with AD and DeMarcus Cousins and Rondo, and that's, you know, that's the Pelicans doing that. They didn't have LeBron, they didn't have Kuzma to go with them. So you add in Kuzma and LeBron into that trio, and I'm sorry, I'm sorry to say this, but I think LeBron might be running a back seat this season. He might have to purely be that Magic Johnson point forward because you got a lot of mouths to feed, but we were just talking on, you know, in episode one that they might not have enough money to get a whole team, and boy, did they prove us wrong. They uh, they, they got a whole team plus a second team to, to fill out there. That was pretty impressive. They did a great job filling out the roster, and I'm really intrigued to see this DeMarcus Cousins-Anthony Davis two, duo again because I think with the Pelicans, they were starting to find their form when that injury kicked in. You got Fire and Ice, and then you got Braun the Broken as the king in, in L.A. right now. I think this could be a fun lineup. It's very versatile. The only question for me is how do they mesh together? We've noticed with LeBron teams, even though they can get to the finals, they seem to have their struggles early on. The Miami Big Three, they were, I think, 9-8 and eight at one point early in the season, and teams were freaking out that it was a joke. With Cleveland, it took them a while to mesh together. They clicked basically going into the playoffs. It's We'll have to see how they mesh because they're not going to have any easy roads in the West. The West, those first eight to nine teams, that's a pretty loaded, that's one of the most loaded the conference has ever been and the most balanced. Yeah, this is one of those cases where everybody on this team has played together, though, previously. I mean, you look across there, there's a connection between everybody on this team playing with another person on this team previously. Like, you got JaVale McGee who played with Quinn Cook in Golden State. He also played with LeBron last year. You got Boogie, who played with Rondo, played with AD, played with Quinn Cook in Golden State. Like You have connections there. So these guys have played together. Uh, but honestly, I, like I said, I think LeBron is going to have to take a backseat and kind of be the grandfather on this one. Not so much like in the mix of things. Like he, Yeah, sure, we're going to look at it and you're going to say it's LeBron's team. But I honestly think that if this team's going to be successful chemistry-wise, he's got to not be... The LeBron that was in Cleveland, that bossy pants LeBron, the GM slash coach LeBron. Like, we don't want Coach James. We want LeBron James, the greatest player on earth. Like, that's what the Lakers need. I think if he's willing to play that point forward, like we mentioned, where they run the show through him a lot more often, he can easily average, like, 24 and 12 or 13 with eight rebounds, as opposed to his normal 27 and 7. 27, 7, and 7. I think he's just too versatile. And if he decides to play a little better defense, if he decides to lock in more often, like, He's wearing number six again. The last time he wore number six, he should have been Defensive Player of the Year, MVP, and Finals MVP in the same year when he was with Miami. That was, in my opinion, that was LeBron at his absolute best in Miami. If we can get most of that back, especially on defense, I don't see how you beat the Lakers in a seven-game series. Even the Clippers with Paul George and Kawhi Leonard, two top ten players in their own right, two of the top three defensive wing players, depending on how you look at it. Two guys that can give you 30 a night as well, they're going to be they're going to be deadly. you got Lou Williams off the bench, Patrick Beverly, who can walk up any point guard in the game. He can at least hassle him. So there, there's going to be some competition there. you got the Rockets, who I know you're pretty high on the Rockets still being a team to be reckoned with. When you have James Harden and a team like that, they're going to put up points. you got the new-look Utah Jazz with Mike Conley running point guard with Donovan Mitchell in his third year. The West is stacked, basically. There's still some lower-tier teams you don't have to worry too much about. The Pelicans, I think, are still a couple years away. But I think there's easily 10 teams that can be, will be vying for playoff spots. 
Yeah, definitely. I mean, we, we looked at it earlier and before we started recording, and uh, we looked at the, the record from last season to next season and kind of predicting our playoff teams for the Western Conference. And, I mean, I, we got mixed up six, seven, eight times because there's just so many loaded guns in the West that you just don't know. Like, if this team can stay healthy and if this team can click, like, you have a good viable 10, 11 teams that can make the playoffs. And now, granted, you have your obviously your top four that are there, but the bottom four, I mean, those guys are, you can mix and match between them all the way down to number 10. Like, you just don't know. What's weird is the Spurs, the model consistency, always in the playoffs. They made some good moves. You mentioned Carroll earlier. They also signed they also signed a Morris twin as well. Looks like it was Marcus Morris. That's You know he's going to click and pop system. Pop power forwards that can stretch the floor are going to work. Yeah. Rudy Gay, DeMar DeRozan, you're getting DeJounte Murray back. They're gonna be, they could easily be left out of the playoffs. I mean, I don't think they will, but when you look at them just on paper compared to the other teams, that dynasty could basically be over at this come up this season. Not by their faults in any means either. Yeah, it's, uh, honestly, this the Western Conference can come down to injuries. Who can stay healthy the longest, and who can who can keep the boat the boat afloat for long enough? I mean, that seems to be kind of the what we're looking at a paper right now. I mean, I know, obviously, you know, trades are coming up, and you, we don't know with these rookies yet how they're going to turn out. Like you talked about the Pelicans, we don't know how long are they going to baby Zion, how long are they going to do this? You know, with all these rookies coming in, and like for the Pelicans, if they don't click, because they are all young players, I mean, that's going to be a, they can't keep that boat afloat, so they're going to have to move on to start building for next year, you know? So it's, it's going to be interesting to see. It's, it's going to come down to injuries and just kind of who can be the steadiest for the longest. So some of these young teams might be able to squeak in because they just keep it afloat long enough, you know? Exactly. And I'm just going to say, I think the Suns could be a sleeper. Suns and the Kings, I think, are two potential sleeper 8-7 C teams. I don't think they're necessarily – Title contenders, but I think they'll take a playoff spot. They could be a team that keeps a team like the Spurs out. Or the Warriors, who we mentioned last time, if the D'Angelo Russell experiment doesn't click and they end up falling too far behind. One of those two teams could snag it and begin their era because those are young teams that are building strong for the future. Kings are loaded with talent. I mean, they're probably one piece away, maybe just a year under their belt away too, just another 82 games. And the Suns, they have way too much young firepower that they're one of these days that one of these years they're just gonna have to click and win like 50 games i can't see them being a 20 win team much longer yeah we i mean i already know how i feel about the Kings. I, we've talked about this many times that's my team so you know I'm, i feel the same way i feel like that actually comes down to luke walton how well will he do with this young team i mean we saw him kind of implode with i can't really blame him with lebron's team because it you kind of deal with gm lebron there and that i imagine that gets pretty annoying and then the internal, the rest of the Lakers organization, yeah. as we found out much later, that was just a mess in itself. Exactly. And then on top of that, you got, you know, you, you do have the, the Suns, and I, I'm still waiting for Devin Booker to just fully take on the Mamba mentality and become that next guy. Like see he, him get that 70 and a W, that's the thing. Like, yeah. You know like, he can I, get his no matter what. I, I don't want to see him get 70 and a loss. Like, that, that, was, that was the hardest thing for me to watch as just a fan of the game and, a, you know, a competitor at heart. Like, that was like... You, he literally put it all on the line, and his team still wasn't good enough to get a win. Like, that's rough. And so, you know, I, I still think this. you're right. The Suns, they are that sleeper team. But, I mean, I think both of them can squeak in and get, get some of these old heads. The Spurs and Warriors seem to be the two most primed to drop out because, you know, Warriors lose Clay pretty much for the whole season. And you're replacing them with D'Angelo Russell? I, defensively, we're, that's not good. 
basically Clay was your guy. He had cover Steph's, Steph's deficiencies, and now you got nobody to cover either one of their deficiencies. They're both pretty bad. Plus, you lose Aggie, another wing defender. Kevin Durant, that's a big deal. I mean, he was a guy that, well, the Warriors were probably the best team in the league without him when they had all those pieces, Quinn Cook and the backups. Now you took away all those pieces and your nuclear weapon. All right, Draymond, we're going to need you to probably average 20 and 10 a game. Yeah. I mean, like, I don't see how. Draymond can't miss open threes anymore. Like, they're still a really well-coached team. You still have Steph Curry, a top-ten player in the league, arguably the top five, depending who you talk to. Top five score in the league, that's for sure. You got Draymond Green, a really good, versatile weapon. They're well-coached. Steve Curl, get, I can't see them missing the playoffs, but if they're going to, they are lined up and ready to go. That's usually how these dynasties end. You look at the Heat after LeBron left, made the playoffs one year, falling off kind of sense. Even when they did make the playoffs, it's a, it was a formality that they were going to get out in four or five. Yeah, I mean, I definitely think this is the chance for the Warriors dynasty to to fall apart. I mentioned the keeping the boat afloat. They're the most primed to, like... They have some holes in that boat they already. Have to, they have to plug the holes real quick. I mean... If they can keep it afloat and then next season Clay comes back or even at the end of the playoff run, that might be a team to worry about. But honestly, until they can prove that – until Steph can prove he's not as bad defensively, which I don't think he's a terrible defender. Granted, he was next to a world-class defender in Clay, so he just looks bad next to that. Like, you, anybody would look bad next to that. So, I mean, you can't – I don't know. I've never thought he was a terrible defender, but I also never thought he really had to defend. So, I, I, I personally want to see him succeed defensively because it would kind of prove my theories right. Like, that, yeah, obviously a little little bias on that one. My theory on him is, is that he actually is a pretty good defender, but he's just not great. So, if he can at least be pretty good, they have a chance to make the playoffs and, you know, do something with it. But I just that, – that boat is sinking fast. One game we'll find out for sure is when they match up with those other backcourts. Like, say they play the Trailblazers. We saw in the playoffs – they basically got rolled. The Blazers got rolled, and part of that was Draymond Green played out of his mind, honestly, in a lot of those games. But Steph didn't. Damian Lillard's not a defender either, and neither is, and neither is C.J. McCollum. Sorry, I had a brain fart there. Neither one of those guys is a lockdown defender. They can get you buckets, but when Clay's rotating on Dame and they're put Clay, and then Andre can rotate on C.J. McCollum, you don't have anyone else to really threaten on that team, especially from the perimeter. Steph was able to just run around and shoot. Now, D'Angelo and We'll see. They I mean they could prove us wrong. Maybe like you said, he's a really good defender. Maybe D'Angelo steps up his game. And Draymond Green returns to being that defensive player of the year type guy he was as well. Cause he called himself the best defender of all time at one point and didn't really play like it afterwards. So maybe he just needs to go back to his roots a little bit. And then another team we didn't talk a whole lot about, but you never know with them, could be the Mavericks. Chris Stops, and then you got Luka Doncic, Rick Harlow's a hell of a coach. They got pieces all around. I think once they kind of get those two established, Kristaps comes back from injury. They're another team, and I think two years they're going to come out of nowhere and be like, oh, yeah, these guys are good. Who would have thought? Yeah, and they're getting Seth Curry as well. That's a, that's a big gift for them. That gets them that shooter to go outside of Luka and Kristaps and, and their driving styles. So, you know, that might be something to think that They might even sneak in this year too. I mean, you never know. They missed it last year. But, yeah, honestly, healthy, a healthy Kristaps and – Maybe an aging Dirk, a lack of an aging Dirk. They uh, they actually change that up, and maybe they do make a playoff. So we'll see uh, with the Mavs. They, that's another team that you're just kind of waiting on them to click and finally put it all together. It's crazy how we've been talking so much about the West. We've kind of left out the East because not a whole lot has happened since that first day. The Nets obviously made the big splashes. You saw the Bucks. I mean, the biggest thing I've seen really is the Bucks signing Giannis's brother to a deal. There's possibly... They were talking about the Heat looking at Westbrook, which could obviously change things up a little bit, but 
I think it's still like the power four, five teams at the top. The last three will make a playoffs, but not really be a threat. I think they're basically a five powerhouse conference, more or less. And I think, I think the East is pretty simple. I mean, like it's changed a little bit, like a lot of those moves with the Nets and whatnot. But I don't think we'll see a whole lot of change come playoff time compared to this last year. Yeah, there's not been a whole lot of anything in the East. It's kind of one of those things where you're just looking at them and you're just like, you know, I just don't want to, don't know what to think about the East after day one. They just they just stay stay stagnant, didn't really change much, and I don't know if they will change much between now and then unless somebody makes the big move for Westbrook. I, I mean, you're right, the biggest move kind of recently seems to have been getting Giannis's brother on the Bucks. So we'll see what the East can do, but. I feel like they, their, their hope, a lot of the East's hopes are on a lot of rookies and a lot of young players. So we won't really see what they can do until the actual season starts anyways. And then another one with the Mavericks, I forgot. Boban, Mar- Boban Maranovic, I think is how you how said. He's now with the Mavs too, so they can have a big front line at any point with him plus seven. He's like, what, isn't he 7'3", seven, 7'4"? Seven, yeah, so seven, he's... 7'2", Kristaps Porzingis, 6'9", Luka Doncic. They could have a huge lineup like we were talking with the Lakers earlier. Yeah, definitely. I mean, they definitely have the two. They, I saw a posting the other day, two biggest active players in the NBA at this point. So, I mean, you got Mo, Boban at 7'3, Kristaps 7'2. I mean, it's just huge. And then you got Luka Doncic, who's a 6'9, 6'10, probably a little shorter. I'm probably exaggerating. Uh, point forward, who actually is lined up as a point guard. Like, I mean, that's just crazy to think about that they have that plus the 7 footers. So, we'll see what the Mavs and. That is, that is actually a really good and I didn't even think about Boban because I love Boban. Although, the, you know, the sad part about Boban is that breaks up the Bobby and Toby show now. So all of us NBA fans are, are here to, to be sad. Speaking of Bobby and Toby, I kind of want to see that matchup now. I really wish there's a way we could have them meet in a couple years when the Mavericks are at their best and when Philly's at their best where we could have just two massive lineups like that. It'd be kind of a throwback so you'd have Boban, Chris Stops. You'd have Ben Simmons and B, Tobias Harris. You'd have some Al Horford. It'd just be a clash of giant towers, basically, and it would be awesome. It'd be kind of a throwback compared to now where it's death lineup, small ball, and spacing, where if you even see one center, it's kind of a miracle. Yeah, they'd probably be close to, if you look back in the 90s, if you put these guys currently in the 90s, they would, there'd be like four centers height-wise and then three power forwards on the court <laughs> at the same time. Like that's, That'd be crazy to see. Like, Seth Curry's the closest thing to a point guard in the 90s era, basically. And he's pretty much going to be, like, their shooting guard with that team, honestly, too. Just because he'll still handle the ball some, but I think that he's mostly brought in the catch and shoot. Yeah, exactly. Well, are there any last words you want to throw in about NBA free agency before we move on? No, no, that does it. Uh, I'm still hoping the Kings... Oh, by the way, got Kyle Guy from the draft. It still bothers me. I hope they uh, do not give up Bryce Brown's spot to Kyle Guy, of all people. I like Bryce Brown's defense a lot better, and Kyle Guy does provide them with some really good shooting. So in a perfect world, they could keep both of them, and they could both work their way into the rotation. But hey, we're moving from the hardwood to the pitch now. Women's World Cup. Winning it yet again, second time in a row. What are your thoughts on that? I know you're a big soccer guy. Yeah, no, I love seeing them get the fourth star. Uh, first of all, for women's soccer, this is this is great. Women's sports in general and equality. Like, first of all, that is this is be- the best thing to ever happen. Just how dominant the U.S. women's team has been. And, I mean, you look at them from the start against Thailand. 
I mean, everybody getting mad because they were celebrating too much. These are the women at the top of their game. Confident. Like, if I had a daughter, I'm going to be like, I want you to be like this. I want you to be on a winning team showing this type of confidence in life. Like, don't even worry about what the haters say. Like, you do you and you're going to win. And I can be like, I can literally show her this entire World Cup and show what the U.S. team has done. And, you know, this is the greatest thing to ever happen for the future of women's sports. And, I, I mean, honestly, as a U.S. fan and a, a, an American, I'm, I have never been prouder. And this four star is huge. This is the biggest thing in soccer for me in a long time. So I I was pretty excited. I did tear up a little bit when they uh, they blew the final whistle. And she missed because of her hamstring. I mean, it definitely showed you they weren't the same on attack. And in the finals and every game up leading up to that, the ball was fed through her. I mean, every attacking move was based off that left wing with her and. You know, and she's been through so much. Uh, you know, we talk about equality and women's rights. She's probably the poster child for it. The most American on the women, U.S. Women's American or U.S. Women's National Team, right there. And so, uh, you know, I'm, I'm I'm happy to see it. And as an American, I'm I'm happy to see Megan Rapinoe get that golden ball for the future of the sport because this is just this is fantastic. No matter which way you cut it, I thought it was kind of neat because Rapinoe as well as Gold Rose herself, two that were injured coming to this game, hamstring issues, they get both of the goals. They're the ones that they score the points. They basically put the nail in the coffin. Yeah. Yeah, Rose Rose Lavelle, I mean, we call her Rose Gold, and, you know, it's, it's the, that's probably the best best nickname for her. I mean, New Balance made those cleats for her. It tells you how good she can be, um, how high the hopes are for her. It's, yeah, you get Rose Lavelle with the bronze ball, and, I mean, this is this game was incredible. Her goal, I mean, actually all three of her goals – in the tournament, like, but especially the goal in the finals, that was just master class. I mean, couple couple ball rolls, a step over, cut it left, I, put it in the corner. You just can't ask for anything better for a, such a young player too. I mean, it's gonna be it's gonna be fun for years to see. I when I was watching this game, the first thing that stuck out to me was the U.S. was always basically putting Netherlands in danger. They had full control of the ball. The ball spent most of the time in Netherlands territory. Even when Netherlands was advancing, the U.S.'s defense was stifling. This I thought this was some of the best soccer I've seen from men's, women's, college, high school, pro, playing in the park with a bunch of hood boogers. I thought it was some of the best soccer I've seen in a while. No, definitely. I mean, I, you know, starting out the game, they were definitely a little uh, – they were missing that final touch. You know, they, they, they did everything up until getting getting the ball in the back of the net, which at the end of the day, that's all that matters. But they were dangerous. They were flying up the wings, getting crosses in, getting passes into dangerous areas. I mean – the Dutch keeper, that game, instead of 2 nothing, that game ends probably close to 6 nil, 7 nil. if it's not for that Dutch keeper. I mean, she was standing on her head trying to save everything. And, you know, they, the Dutch actually had a really good setup early on, you know. Set up, set down the middle, and then try to catch him on the counter. And, you know, where the U.S. was weak, was up the center of the defense. And once they figured that out, it was a lot better. But, you know... The U.S. definitely looked a little sketchy there in the first 30 minutes, but then it all kind of turned around in the halftime. And once you got that first goal, that penalty, that was that was where the whole game just opened up for the U.S. It was amazing. It's that attacking prowess. It's, it's amazing to see a team just so dominant at any level, no matter the sport. It's kind of fun to see because they have a weird mix of players. They got some really young players that are going to be around for years to come. They got those veterans, kind of like Alex Morgan, the like the core of the team that's Basically in their prime, maybe towards the back end of their prime. They're not old, but they're not fresh-faced by any means. 
Then you got some like Carly Lloyd who have played basically every women's cup ever. It feels like it feels like you, she's been in every single one. So they have a nice mix, and a few of them probably won't be back next in four years. But you got to think most of these girls will be here next time too. Yeah, no, definitely. I mean, you think about the heart of that team, the young stars. You got Rose Lavelle, you got Mallory Pugh, you got Kristen Press, who's still she's kind of the, that that prime, telling to the prime age. Alex Morgan will still be around. Uh, Tobin Heath will still be around. Julie Ertz, you know, Zach Ertz's wife, but really, let's be honest, Zach Ertz is lucky to be, you know, related to Julie Ertz at all. If that if their child ends up athletic, it's coming from the mom side. Definitely. Yeah, no, that's 100% Julie Ertz's DNA going going through. Uh, she is an absolute dominant specimen in the back. You got Becky Sauerbron will still be around, Kelly O'Hara. Um, but yeah, you're really losing, probably Megan Rapinoe and Carly Lloyd will be your two biggest losses going forward, and while that hurts now... In four years, you have players to replace them. And so that'll be even... Honestly, I, I don't see the U.S. going down in talent anytime soon. And the only problem is women's soccer is still a growing sport. And so you see teams like France. Netherlands was a dark horse. And they were my dark horse pick to even make it to the finals, let alone win. And you know, I felt kind of proud in predicting that. But at the same time, that they're a young team that's just getting better. And we saw how good they could be today. In four years, they can be... You know, after another Euros, probably another Euros victory for them. I mean, we'll just see how good they can be. And that England team, too, could be another one that in four years is, has something to say about the finals. It definitely feels – it's such a growing sport. And I think U.S. women's soccer is so far out in the lead, especially last time when they won the gold. It felt like they were even in more control than this time. And they had a – was it a 13-1 to win this time? I mean, in any sport, a 12-point win is huge. In soccer, it is absolutely unheard of. And they in pulled it off. professional soccer at all. Especially, yeah. I mean – yeah, no, this is crazy. I, I've never seen such a dominant team in any sport. And you're right. I feel like they were more dominant in the last World Cup when it was they were facing off in Japan, like against Japan. And now Japan didn't even make it into the knockout stages. So that tells you, tells you just how things have changed in four years. I mean, it was Japan and the U.S. and Canada for so long. Canada didn't even make it to the quarters or didn't make it to the semifinals. Japan didn't even make it out of the, the group stages. I mean, this just goes to show how much this sport can change in four years. And so, I still have faith in the U.S. We can get the fifth in the next World Cup, but we'll see. I mean, it reminds me a lot of the Ronda Rousey train in the UFC. Basically, she was unbeatable. She was murking everybody. All of her fights end in the first round except for one. And then suddenly, the rest of the women catch up, and it ends like a freight train when she lost it with UFC 193. And I feel like this could be kind of something with women's soccer. Is while they do have those young pieces, the rest are starting to catch up. So I think it's going to get real competitive real quick. And next World Cup, I think they'll have their work cut out for them. Oh, yeah, definitely. I, I definitely. You know, speaking of the, the octagon, uh, we're going to go ahead and transition from the pitch to the octagon, um, where UFC 293 happened last 239. night. Oh, sorry, 239. My bad. As you can tell, I'm not the biggest fight fit, fight watcher in the world, but DJ is our resident fight analyst, mastermind, whatever you want to call him. Um, so, DJ, what did you see from the UFC event last night that is everybody should know about? Okay, first of all, the, on paper, this was probably the most stacked event we've had this year, and that was after two fights were lost from it. The big heavyweight, thro- heavyweight showdown with Francis Ngannou and Junior Dos Santos was supposed to be on this one. But due to some moving parts, they were moved to main event of a fight night just this last week. And that fight ended in two minutes with a vicious knockout. 
And vicious knockout is pretty much how you could describe last night's card for the most part. You look at the first fight, you saw a veteran in Diego Sanchez basically get worked by a bigger, younger, stronger, stronger Michael Chiesa. Not a surprise. Diego's a legend. Chiesa's just his time's done, and Chiesa's a pretty good fighter. I don't think he's the best in the world. I don't think he's as good as he thinks he is. But he's still very, very, very good. And he's going to beat Diego Sanchez 10 out of 10 times at this point in their career. And he's going to beat a lot of guys at that part. I joke around saying he's not as good as he thinks he is, but he's still a very good fighter. He's going to be a top 15 guy at welterweight for a while. Then the next fight, you see Luke Rockhold, former middleweight champion, former strike force middleweight champion, one of the most diverse strikers and just fighters in general, not strikers, just most diverse fighters in the game for most of his career. I was excited to see him go to 205 because he cuts a ridiculous amount of weight to get the middleweight. He's a big boy. He's like 6'3", probably walks around to 235. He's way too big for middleweight to be making that cut. So I'm like, oh, a light heavyweight, he'll be full, he'll be comfortable, he'll be at his best, he won't cut a lot of weight. And honestly, he looked pretty much the exact same. He did a lot of some really good things. His kicks are deadly. If he played for the U.S. soccer team, no one would want to block kicks from him the way he throws his <laughs> left kick. His hands were pretty good. His left straight's nice. He threw, has a nice check right hook. But I hate to say it, but he just can't take a shot. Like His defense is already poor. Most of the time you want your hands up kind of by your temples. His kind of tend to drop a little bit closer to his chest. Get a, he has decent head movement, decent footwork, but it's too easy to touch him, and he just can't take a shot. Like He took some pretty good ones earlier in his career, but the last four or so years, it, any shot seems to hurt him. And then he got caught with a nuclear bomb off a break yesterday. And Jan is a really good fighter, but to see Luke get absolutely exploded on like that, and he basically... I, it was one of the most vicious knockouts I've seen in a while up until that point. It was probably as bad as when he got knocked out by Yoel Romero, who is not natural. I don't care what he says. He was created by scientists. But, <laughs> but does, so speaking of knockouts, I mean, there's definitely one fight that we... You, I know you want to talk about that was just incredible as far as a knockout goes. I mean, you want to go ahead and... Okay, I'll talk about this vine that I was getting my way to. So <laughs> in the fight after that, we saw bad blood personified, heated... George Masvidal and Ben Askren. Ben Askren, one of the best wrestlers probably in the game, arguably. And then Jorge Masvidal or George Masvidal. I don't know which one it is. They've been changing on me all the time. He responds to both and doesn't correct anyone. So I'm, if I change back and forth, that's why. But he's an OG. He actually used to be a backyard fighter in those Kimbo Slice days. He was doing that as well with bare knuckles. So you know he will fight anyone. He is that dude. Basically, he's what the kids these days call gangster. He does not care, and he will fight anyone, anywhere, anytime. And he will not give two shits about it. But he li they lined up, and the whole time George is walking around nice and comfortable, loose as a goose. Ben Askren's looking loose as well, because that's kind of who Ben is. He's a very, he's almost a literal guy. It's like, he's like, do you want to fight? He's like, well, yeah, that's why I signed up here. He's, a he's that kind of guy. He's very intelligent. And then Jorge's just like, he's smiling, he's walking, he's kind of talking a little trash when he's the octagon. He's like, we're here now, you can't run. Look at and then just right off the gate, he has his hands behind his back. He slowly walks away. After the ref says go, two seconds in. Flying knee from out of nowhere flies. He fights out of Tampa. He fights out of Florida, and it looked like he jumped from Florida all the way through and drilled it into Ben Askren's head. I was completely stunned. I thought it was a joke to see it end in five seconds. And it was really over in two. Those follow-up punches were just because the ref can't teleport across the octagon it that quickly. So the fact that he has the fastest knockout of all time against an undefeated fighter is a huge tip in his cap. He's got to get a title shot coming up. I mean. I don't care what Colby Covington does to Robbie Lawler. Colby Covington should have got his title shot eight times over, but now it's George Masvidal. He has two of the most violent. If we start ended the year right now and decided who got knocked out of the year, he has two of the top three already. It's amazing. 
And then the post-fight shenanigans. There was so much bad blood. It's hard for me to be like, you can't do that. It's bad sportsmanship. That's kind of what. That's kind of what the game's about, and they led to it. When you win the fight, you win the argument. So you can do really whatever you want. I mean, and at yeah. the same time, Ben wasn't exactly shying away from talking trash leading into it. I mean, everyone has their own opinion on post-fight shenanigans. I don't care for them, but I can't fault him and say you have no class or anything like that. Yeah, no, I, I kind of I felt the same way. I mean, when you showed me the the fight and the replay, and I was just I was shocked myself because he was. He, you were even joking. Like I don't sure. I'm not sure if I can get the computer in front of you fast enough to see the replay. That's how quick the knockout was. And then when they actually showed it, and then showed off today. Because you know I'm a sports I, a baseball guy, especially. That's what I grew up on. So there's a lot of the unspoken rules. And to see the guy, you know, mock him afterwards, it sucks. But the competitors in me is like, well, he won the fight. You can do whatever you want if you win. You can you can talk however you want. But you know that was that was crazy. I, that was just the craziest thing I know I've seen ever. And like I said, I'm not the biggest UFC watcher in the world, but to hear the way you described it too is it seems like that was just a huge deal for anything. How do you end a professional fight in five seconds? And really, it was over in two or three. Like he broke the record comfortably. I I never thought I'd see that because, and it's a the biggest thing is it's against the sixth ranked guy in the world. I can't emphasize enough. He didn't just go in and beat some scrub. He starched an undefeated fighter who had been a champion in every organization and a lot of people thought was going to control this fight and fight for the title next. That being said, finally someone exposed the big hole in Askren's game. Everyone talks about get him to the UFC. He was the best outside the UFC. He'll wrestle everybody. He can't do anything besides shoot for a damn double leg, it seems like. Even there, he, George said in the post-fight, they're like, yeah, we've been working on it. His teammates were saying it on Twitter, like, yeah, we saw videos in practicing it. All he does is shoot double legs and shoot for takedowns. You have to be able to throw a punch, and he just simply, I don't think Ben can throw a punch, and he's 34 years old, so I think this is a big wake-up call. Like, the big thing coming into this, he was saying, I can take a shot, and we'd seen him. That's a different kind of shot you can't take. I mean, I thought he was serious, like, I thought that was a serious life-altering injury, but he's been discharged from the hospital. He put a funny tweet out, so it looks like he'll be okay, but I think that's honestly the end of it for him. He'll beat some guys, but he is not making a title run. He cannot fix his stand-up game that quickly. I mean... It's simple, throwing a 1-1, one, one, shoot for the double. The wrestler special, 1-2, shoot for the double. Pump, pump, fake a leg kick, shoot for the Little things like that, wrestler's master. And then throwing your dominant hand, I think he's a southpaw, so throwing an overhand left or an overhand right to lead into your takedown. I haven't seen him do any of that. Like, when he throws punches, it's kind of embarrassing. And Poirier kind of exposed it. He's like, what's he going to do, shoot on me? Okay, I'm going to take his head off. And he described it three ways. I, I destroy him like we saw. I miss, and we end up in a weird scramble. I think I'll get back to my feet there. And the other one is, I miss him, but he's like, oh, God, I can't. I got to be careful next time I shoot. Basically, the rest of the kryptonite is a bomb coming from your head at the level of which you shoot. So I think Jorge is your next title contender. Him and Kamaru Usman, that's a doozy of a fight coming up. If he just, if he has to fight Kobe Covington, I know they're boys. I think that's an instrument because Kobe's a wrestler too, but he had some stand-up, and his cardio is stupid good. He's very technically sound with like the one twos that like very it's really straightforward. He doesn't have a diverse striking background. If it stays on the feet, feet George is gonna piece him up. But if Kobe can close the distance without being stupid and getting kneed in the head, I think that's a really good fight. And Usman, he, if he shoots on he's not gonna shoot on Masvidal like that. He has really good stand up, and he's a weird he's one of those weird wrestlers who's so lengthy he just can stick his arms out, go like, pop 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 pop, and throw a lot of kicks because he's not scared of getting taken down. You get inside, that's when he dips. It's hard to throw a flying knee when you're inside. George Masters that. He's got an outstanding vertical and needs to go to the NBA because that would be some Vince Carter-level <laughs> vertical to get up that quickly. And then that was just 
that was just a statement fight. Everyone's probably already seen it. It's been all over Twitter. I mean, you can you can't you can't exactly not you can't exactly hide that video for anywhere because it's five seconds. I mean, yeah, I mean, it was so quick. They need to bring back Vine just for that one video. I mean, that was just the craziest thing. But then moving into the the actual main card and the the actual fights of the night, you know, the main events. What were your thoughts on those? Two championship fights, the co-main and the main events. So you have probably the you have the best female MMA fighter of all time, hands down. Arguably one of the top female combative athletes of all time, and Amanda Nunes taking on someone who really isn't that far behind in Holly Holm with her boxing championships, her de- defeating Ronda Rousey, her nearly her competing with Cyborg, and Holly. I think this was kind of her last hoorah. She's in she's in her late thirties. She's taken a little bit more shots recently. Like she, this was the first time she's ever been finished an outstanding head kick by Amanda Nunes. The way she set it up. Just waiting, because Holly comes from the John Jones camp where they master that goofy little sidekick to the knee, which I personally don't care for, but it's legal. If you can do it, you do it. She was kind of, I don't want to say piecing up Amanda, but I think she was winning the early exchanges, touching with those. Amanda times it perfectly, and with opposite stances, those rear shots, that right rear leg kick, Holly had nowhere to go. She was stuck, and she was lucky to only get hit with the foot. And If that hits with the shin, I think that's a lot more violent of a knockout, so... There's really not a whole lot to say. I think that was the last true test for Dunez. Everyone else, it's going to take a surprise like Mike Tyson, Buster Douglas type finish to come out of nowhere and take that out. I just, I can't see anyone beating her. She's a champ champ for a reason. She has insane power. When she punches people, I I feel a little twinge in my soul. Like, oh, God, that hurts. And now she's taking people out with head kicks. The only way, the only girl that's given her trouble recently is Valentina Shevchenko. And that's because she's probably the second best female fighter in the world she's way more technically sound but she's a lot smaller so if we can get a trilogy fight with them i think that'd be pretty cool they'll have to find a weight class to me since valentina's dropped down to 25 and nunez is now in that 135 145 limbo so if they can get a third fight i'd be cool with that because it's gonna be hard to beat amanda nunez at this point the last girl to actually beat her cat zingano she survived that hell storm in the first round like zingano probably probably lost that fight three times over depending on who the ref is but she survived she conquered and she destroyed amanda in the third round and got the stoppage because the way amanda throws you're gonna get tired i mean those punches when you when you throw nuclear bombs eventually you're gonna get sore it's hard to just it's hard to throw that stuff over and over and over again so basically not a whole lot to say on that one besides holly holm i think the road's kind of to an end for her unfortunately it's been a fun ride she'll always be known as one of the having one of the biggest upsets in ufc history I bet on her that one, so I will never forget that. I have written text proof that I won that bet. And she's she was had a great career crossing over from boxing to MMA. And Amanda Nunes, basically it's who's next, who's my next victim. That's where she's at this point. She has that Mike Tyson feel to her. Do you think uh, do you think Nunes might be the best champ champ the UFC has ever seen? I know we got McGregor was the other one. I can't, I can't think of any other ones. So we got Conor McGregor was the first one. I, don't, I think there's four champ champs we've had in the UFC so far. I love Conor, but... He has zero title defenses, so he's eliminated. You have Henry Cejudo, who just became a champ champ. He's uh, he's kind of in that limbo period because I don't he's injured right away. I don't think he's ever gonna be able to defend both of them, honestly. You had Daniel Cormier, who he's prop he's really good. I mean, he defended his light heavyweight plenty of times. He defeat defend his heavyweight. He's never lost a heavyweight fight. I don't even think he's ever lost a heavyweight round. And then at light heavyweight, he's only lost to John Jones. One of them's marred with a failed drug test, and the first one was wasn't really a pretty fight for either one of them, but. That's the only bad thing with Daniel Cormier is champ champ thing is he there's always that John Jones shadow next to him and I don't know we'll see so she's clearly the best champ champ she's defended 135 a couple times 145 she said she wants to defend it next she's ready to go she's healthy I mean that was a one that was a couple minute fight she's ready to roll yeah. 
So she could probably fight in like a week if they offered her the money and the opponent. She'll be like, okay, I'm here. <laughs> DC, unfortunately, he became champ champ way too old. He even mentioned when he fought Derek Luzes, the night of that, the morning of that fight, he sneezed and threw out his back. He is way too old for this right now. He's got two or three fights, I think, in his career left, it, depending on how long they take. So th that's where I kind of have the champ champ ranking is Amanda Nunes, hands down. DC's next. Then Cejudo, McGregor's, Cejudo's, we'll see if he's, if he's injured and can't defend him and ends up losing a title, he's basically where McGregor was. He hasn't really defended either because he wins. Actually, wait, he did defend against TJ Dillashaw. I apologize. I got that one backwards. So, yeah, I guess he does have a defense of his 25 belt. Then he goes up and wins 35 and gets injured. Sorry, I got that backwards because I forgot TJ came down before he busted busted for drugs. So, Cejudo's next, and then Connor's probably the fourth just because he kind of stopped fighting after he won that second belt. And he kept that 145 belt a year plus after he won it so he could go on the Nate Diaz fun ride or maybe it was a it was about a year or so that's kind of how i look at him for champ champs amanda nunez best female fighter in the world best female fighter of all time hands down cool so you mentioned the john jones shadow obviously that is the main event from last night well i guess co-main or nope that was the main event and john jones did what john jones does but not in a john jones way as weird as that sounds like i thought he won the fight comfortably the fact that it was a split decision kind of shocked me i thought he won four rounds just by activity and control like Santos threw bombs like when he missed and when he hit John on the arms and stuff it was like oh oh god he's that guy okay and then a few of those shots looked like they landed but I don't think they landed clean and a few of them landed pretty well but I don't think any of them were like those kind of shots where it's like okay now John's in trouble and like the one that landed pretty good John's mouthpiece shot across the across the octagon so it was a heck of a performance by Santos it looked like and Joe Rogan kept mentioning it he injured his knee you could kind of see it pop a little bit maybe a torn ACL and MCL maybe just Maybe it's a partial tear if he's lucky. It's not nothing too serious. But it, he had an outstanding performance considering. I mean, he was in that fight the whole time. You could tell he was a shorter, smaller type of guy. He's a big dude. But John Jones is perfectly built for that class. And I think part of that is John Jones has a massive upper body. He had, His shoulders are basically wings. His arms are his arms are longer than legs. But he has little. He has really thin chicken legs. And people have been talking about that since he started. His When he went into his first title fight against Shogun Hua. They're talking about someone chopping down his chicken legs. No one's been able to do it until right now. Santos landed a heck of a lot of those kicks. John's, the inside of his legs look like basically hamburger meat, and he had to get wheelchaired out too. So I was impressed to see Tiago Santos actually implement that game because I wish I had a camera right now. We could talk about it, but John Jones' entire defense is basically right hand to his ear, and then he frames off with his super long left hand. It's like a stiff arm. It frames away, and then slightly takes a step back. That's where he gets all of his eye pokes, too, because that's a hard habit to break, which was also great about this fight. No eye pokes. Hooray. But anyway. <laughs> no felt drug test. Hooray. Hold on. There's still time. Anyway, <laughs> and anyway, so Santos got hit with a hit him with a bunch of leg kicks because Jones doesn't fully move his legs all the way out of the way. So to see someone actually use that game plan and execute it and keep riding it, keep going, I think that's part of the reason we saw a split decision is Santos did beat him up a little bit. Like, that was a really close fight, and John didn't honestly look surprised when he realized it was a split decision. He was like, oh, okay, that was a lot tougher fight than I thought it would be. And, oh, okay, I might have actually lost this fight. I think it was the right decision that he won. I don't think Santos won, but he fought him. He came in, and he belongs in this weight class. There are questions, because at middleweight, he was a little hit or miss. Since he moved up, he's been starching pools. And I think uh, whoever's going to fight John next should look at this. I mean, maybe they won't be able to implement as well, because Thiago Santos has that power where it's it's that earth-shattering type power where he's been knocking people out. He throws, he basically throws to take your soul every time. He's pretty good on the ground. His capoeira kicks keep you at bay. I, 
John didn't really shoot for a lot of takedowns, so we don't know if that could change the game a little bit. Maybe he shoots and Tiago doesn't take his legs apart, but who's to say those leg kicks didn't hurt him? It's hard to shoot when your legs are dead. So I think whoever fights him next needs to look at that game plan and think, hey, I need I have a trouble reaching his head. I need to look through the body and the legs. And I think Santos, it's not the book on how to beat John Jones. There is no book really, but there's there's another there's a chapter in it at least now. There's some there's some he laid out some groundwork and it was really intriguing to see from a guy who we all kind of thought was just basically cannon fodder at this point. Even John's like, I kind of wish I was nervous for this fight, but I'm just not. I, Basically, all John thought was like, oh, just avoid his haymakers and I'll be fine. He showed a really nice diversity of his game, and I think he shouldn't be too far from a title, assuming that's not a torn ACL and he, has, he can heal up quickly. I think one or two fights, he could be in a title fight again. Do you think uh, Santos deserves a, a rematch against that or for that fight? I mean, you mentioned how I imagine John Jones wasn't too surprised because he felt his legs. You know, you feel your legs turn into hamburger meat. I imagine you're like, yeah, I probably should have moved a little bit more. Probably should have checked them, probably should have shot, but at the same time, it's it's tough to do. Old habits die hard, and he hasn't had to worry about that his whole career because his arms are so long. When he frames, he's outside of range, and no one's been able to just really follow him with kicks. Okay. So Santos probably shouldn't get any immediate rematch. I don't think it was that close. It wasn't an awful split decision, and besides, they both are injured there. I think they're both going to be out for a minute. Yeah. Maybe give Santos have him fight one other guy in the top five just to get, it, get back in there, show that he, it wasn't a fluke, even though I don't think it is, but, you know, just to be safe. Get John some new challengers. Maybe let him dip into heavyweight for fun. They're talking about him in D.C. with a trilogy fight. That's always an option. Maybe I kind of like him dipping up to heavyweight and taking on somebody just to dip his toe in the water, get a feel for it. He's shown no interest in it, but he's the best 205-pounder of all time. I think he's the second-best fighter of all time, arguably. The one thing I want to see him do is change weight classes. He's done everything else I can want him to. I, mean, I have him slightly ahead of GSP because GSP switched weight classes. Beat a guy who was pretty good, but I... Like, he was the champion, obviously. Credit to Michael Bisping, but I think GSP needed to defend that belt or fight more than once at 185, so. I have John Jones still ahead of him because of who he's beat and how many times he has beaten him. He has the record for most title fight victories. Granted, there's not title fight victories in a row because of his off-the-court, outside-of-the-cage shenanigans, of course, but I, he's probably the second best of all time, if not the first, so he's, he's outstanding. I'd like to see him expand a little bit. He'll fight Santos again. I'm pretty sure if Santos hangs around. So you mentioned the DC Bones trilogy fight. Do you think they'll do it? And if so, what class? If they do it again, I want to see heavyweights. We've seen 205 twice. And while the first one was kind of ugly, DC had a few moments. John was in control. The second one, right when it started get, getting going, John cracks DC with a perfectly placed, perfectly set up left high kick that DC even kind of admitted to having that as a weakness in his game before their first fight. How he has a bad tendency when someone punches. He dips throws his left arm as like a hook to get into the clinch where he can do work his outstanding wrestling. Problem is John kept hitting him with those body and low kicks and then DC dips right into it. So we'll see because DC, when I talked about those leg kicks, he had a couple of them in their first fight. I remember I did a little breakdown on it going into their second fight, how he needs to work the legs to slow John down a little bit because John's movement for a big guy is really, really good too. So... I don't want to see them fight a light heavyweight again. I don't really want to see them fight again because every time they fight, something happens, whether it's cocaine, it's drugs, it's a failed test, it's a failed test after the fight. There's, If they fight again, I'm going to watch it. I'm going to be excited, but I think it'd be best served at heavyweight. But I, it's pointless for John to take it at heavyweight because you're not going to do it better than you did at light heavyweight. And if you lose at heavyweight, it's going to be like, oh, it's because of the weight cut. And DC, I don't think he can make that weight cut anymore. He's a big boy and he's an older big boy. It's Just be a heavyweight for your last few fights. 
And he has to deal with Stipe Miocic, first of all. I mean, that's his next fight, and Stipe is no joke. I think he was in pretty decent control of their first fight. It was a short fight. Stipe is the best heavyweight of all time, and when you look at just accomplishments, in my opinion, him or Fedor, depending on who you talk. DC cleaned his clock pretty early, so we'll see how this rematch goes. If he cleans DC, if he cleans Stipe up again, DC has a strong case as, hey, I'm the best heavyweight of all time. And if he wants to fight John Jones, John's going to have to come up to heavyweight at that point. So yep. if they're going to fight again, that's where it has to be, in my opinion. And for John, you get a chance to be champ champ, heavyweight. Everyone's wanting to see you there. I want to see what he looks like without – he doesn't cut a whole lot of weight because, like I said, he's has a huge heavyweight frame, but he's got middleweight to welterweight legs, unfortunately. They're just too damn long to be muscular. So we'll see. He probably won't weigh a whole lot of heavyweight, maybe 230, which is, and DC is 245, 248. So it, we'll see. If they fight again, I want heavyweight, but I don't – I'm iffy on seeing them fight again. It just feels cursed. Fair enough. Yeah, I, I mean, you mentioned it, the drug, failed drug test, the cocaine, the everything else. The I don't even know what happened in the last one. There's just there's no telling anymore what what they're gonna get into for failed drug tests anymore. Um, but so other than, other than that, uh, anything else you want to recap from UFC two thirty nine? Not a whole lot. It was just one of those cards that lived up to everything on paper. I was excited. I was on the edge of my seat the whole time. Some of the probably two of the biggest knockouts of the year. Jorge Masvidal does it again. I think that's just the biggest thing. He, everyone's talking about his KO over Darren Till a few couple months back in back in England too. Everyone, that was kind of the fight where Darren, Darren Till gets back on the horse after losing the title fight. Like, all right, we'll give him a good opponent at rank number eleven. Get Darren Till rolling in because he's our young prospect, and he had his moments. He looked good, but Masvidal proved I'm that dude. And what does he do today? He one ups it. He basically, I will see you. I'm that dude and raise you. Give me that title shot right now. I think we have the next. We have a true welterweight contender on our hands. We have a women's goat on our hands, and with John Jones, what's next? So that's kind of the answer. Same with Nunes. They both have that. What do we do next? Feel to it, and then Luke Rockhold. I, I'm a big fan. I loved his fight career, especially early on when he took that title. Watching his rise through the UFC, how he, his top game was the best, probably the best of all time. When he gets on top of someone on the ground, it's over. It's like it doesn't even make sense how he handles people. I'm like. How do you pull this off? You're not that huge compared to them. You're not really like like he's ripped, but he's not like he's not fighting guys he's significantly bigger than. He just his top control and just his top game is some of the best of all time I've seen. And he hurts people and submits them. And his left kick one of the best of all times. I think that leg surgery we saw him wearing kind of a calf sleeve over it where he had the scar and some tissues and we saw it taped up. I think that kind of hindered his career a lot, especially the infections. It's probably time for him to call it a career. He's a model, a Ralph Lauren model off to the side. He'll be, just, he'll be just fine. I mean, he's fighting. He even said he's not fighting because he has to. He's fighting because he wants to. And he wanted to make a run at John Jones, is what it sounded like. I don't think that's going to happen. I mean, Jan's really good, but if Jan's going to completely take you out like that, I don't want to see him fight John Jones. Or I don't really want to see him fight anymore. He has a long, fun, happy life ahead of him about the rest of us will be jealous of. No need to break any more of your brain cells going forward. Nice. Okay. Well, moving forward, before we, before we let you guys go for the night, we're going to talk about what is happening this week real fast. Just going to break quick breakdown since we probably won't talk about it until uh, later on in the next podcast. So we got Home Run Derby coming up tomorrow. The all-star break for, the, for baseball is happening right now. Um, looking at the contestants, who do you have as your top choice to win the, the Home Run Derby? For me, Vlad Guerrero Jr. is competing. And he's just this whole season has been set up for Vlad Guerrero Jr. So I'm just like it's been like a showcase to Vlad Guerrero Jr. So at this point I'm not gonna pick against 
the uh, the top fours. I'm just gonna go Vlad Guerrero Jr. I know he's ranked eighth overall seeding, but I mean, I just don't see him losing. He's he's a superstar in the making, and this is his breakout moment. I agree with everything you said, but I'm gonna I'm gonna go a little outside the box. I'm gonna pick a guy that it's probably a terrible idea to pick a Met, honestly, because that's they're just jinx. But I'm gonna pick Pete Alonso of the Mets. He's had a pretty good hitting season. I think he's I don't know what his hitting percentage is off the top of my head, but he does have about 30 home runs at this point. I think he just has the ability to crack the ball, and he's one of those guys that when I watch him, he's like a guy, when, a good free throw shooter. When you see they're in that motion, they just flick and it goes in every time. You just, like you just don't change anything. I feel like he's the guy when he gets that shot for the home runs. He's just going to smack him out of the park. I think he's ranked number two, so obviously he's not exactly a quote-unquote dark horse or a surprise pick. Yeah. But like you said, it's set up for Vlad Guerrero. And then Christian Yellick is the top seed. Those are, I think, weirdly enough, they're going to face off. I think a lot of people are thinking whoever wins that matchup is going to win the whole thing. Is the Well, they just they actually just announced, as I was just reading, uh, Christian Yellick has been replaced by Matt Chapman due to a back injury. So that just opens the door even more for Vlad Jr. Uh, I mean, he literally just, just got to walk in the park. But... You mentioned Pete Alonso. He honestly, if it wasn't for Vladimir Jr., I feel like this would be Pete Alonso season. And you know, he is the next big thing for the Mets. And it, coming into New York, that's a big deal for power hitters in New York, and especially for the Mets, they haven't had one in a long time. It's a Clippers Yankees thing, just yeah. just in baseball. So it'd be nice to see them. And then also, John Jock Peterson. I kind of I I think he's my quote unquote dark horse. Like I don't know what it is about him. I can't put it. Say it like, because he's not exactly a 500 foot cracking guy. He's not a guy who hits a bunch of home runs, but he just seems to consistently hit the ball. It feels like so. I think he yeah. can. I think he could be the dark horse where he's just like, okay, I got this, and then just roll in there comfortably and surprise everybody. Yeah, I kind of feel the same about Ronald Acuna Jr. He's uh, he's down there in Atlanta. You know, not not very not a very hitters friendly park in the new uh, SunTrust Stadium or SunTrust Field, whatever they want to call that new stadium. That's a pain in the butt to get in and out of, by the way. But, you know, he is actually, he's one of those guys, he has the perfect swing for it. A little uppercut to it, just enough to get the ball out of the park, and he swings hard. Kind of that Bryce Harper swing where it's like, you know what, I'm going to smash this, and it's either going to break through the wall or it's going over the wall. Like, that's just how it's going to happen, and you don't have to worry about it. So that's something to look forward to this weekend. And we also got Wimbledon coming up. Before we get to that, there's a couple things on the derby I want to mention real quick. I just thought about it. Hey, Bryce Harper, you mentioned him, the defending champ. He's not in the, competing this year. I kind of wish he was. I think that would have been that would add a little more spice to it. Just have a superstar. It's like the dunk contest in basketball. No Aaron Judge, another superstar. I think that could have been fun. And we talked about pretty much everyone on the list besides, the weirdly enough, the favorite, Josh Bell. Vegas has him as the from the Pittsburgh Pirates. He's considered the favorite going into the, which I thought was kind of interesting because, I mean, he's really good. Obviously. He's here for a reason. He's the third-ranked guy in the Derby. He's got plenty of home runs. I just don't really see him winning for some reason. I, I don't know what yeah, it is. Like his his swing to me, it's it's. I feel like it's a swing. It's a very lazy swing, and you know he 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 seems to turn the pitcher's power against him. Is is how I look at it. Is his swing is not set up to provide the power. It's just set up to provide the direction for the ball. Um, and so in a home run derby, you guys, these guys are only throwing 50, 55, maybe. So I feel like Josh Bell's swing is a little. Isn't set up for a derby. You know, they talk about these line drive guys. It's kind of like Alex Bregman. You know, his first derby experience, he was just such a line, such a line drive guy. He even the home runs he hit, they were just line shots that went out. You know, it's it's they didn't have very beautiful arcs to them or anything like that. It was just a line shot. So for me, Josh Bell. That's why Josh Bell is not my any of my choices. Is his swing is just, it's too flat. 
and it's too easy for a home run derby in my opinion. And and you know I've been proven wrong in this state before, but it's it's just one of those things I just I can't look at a swing and think wow that's a home run derby champion right there. That's fair. That's good reasoning as well. And you mentioned Wimbledon. Wimbledon coming up. What's one that sticks out for you? Anyone that sticks out between all of these? You know, I want to see if Serena can make it. But honestly, it's not even the singles competition that really sticks out with me. It's actually in the mixed doubles. You have Serena and Andy Murray on the same team. I, like, I'm sorry. I, if I could make a dream team of tennis, I don't think I could make a better dream team for mixed doubles than Serena and Andy Murray at this point. Yeah, I mean, I look at six to six in their matchup already. In their first matchup, I don't, I don't want any of that. I mean, I don't want to play against them. I don't want to play against them in anything, honestly. No, like, like a, Serena is hands. In my opinion, she's hands down the greatest American athlete currently playing any sport. Period. I think she is the best representation we have for America in any sport internationally, and that's, and for her to be matched up with the greatest. British tennis player to ever play like that's a big deal I mean considering Wimbledon start it is in London I mean you're sitting here talking about the greatest British player is actually currently playing not a previous guy like that's it's a big deal so I mean Serena and Andy Murray that's a that's a that's a dream team for sure and I look at the rest of the field I look at everyone else who won like there's Yang and Middlecoop there's there's just not there's some really good matchups obviously I'm not trying to disparage any of them it's just like there's levels to this, and that's like, that's stacking the deck. That's if Kawhi goes to the Lakers and the Clippers get nothing, is what yeah. it feels like. Like, like they're obviously the rest of them are good. Anything could happen. I mean, you see Coco Goff going out of nowhere and beating people in the women's singles. So, this could happen. But I'm with you, Serena, Andy, Murray. Good luck, everybody else. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, it's it's crazy to see. But no, in the, in the singles, obviously Andy Murray in the men's and in the women's, you got Serena. So it's it's hard not to to bet for those two. Obviously, just. I want to. I will always want to see Serena win. Serena is probably one of my favorite all-time athletes, and as I've already said, I still think she is the greatest American athlete currently playing. Well said. Any final words before we get out of here? No, no, that does it. Oh, by the way, pay the women. All right, that's okay. We will sign off with that. Thank you everybody for listening. This has been the High Low Sports Broad Sports Podcast. Tune in again next week where we'll talk sports among many other things. Thanks for listening. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18+. plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Hi, I'm Maria. And I'm Mike. And we're Team Team Ready. Black Hills Energy knows your home is where your heart is. So they want you to be ready. It's all about keeping you safe, prepared, and making your home as energy efficient as possible. Everything from how to weatherize your home to how to stay safe during extreme weather. Be ready for anything. Go to blackhillsenergy.com slash team ready.